We like to cover a pretty broad range of subject matter on Prairie Design Lab, from efforts to build affordable housing in Winnipeg's inner city, to architecture practices in Hong Kong, Oslo, and Frankfurt, to the now bulldozed indigenous Winnipeg neighborhood of Roostertown, to the power of color. Today, we featured the designer who Dolce, the luxury lifestyle magazine, called Toronto's interior design darling and the maestra of majesty. Florida Design Magazine put her on their January 2021 cover saying she combines South Florida's elegant pulse with an audacious spin on French style channeling and edgy attitude. I'm talking about Canada's Lori Morris. Lori's been sharing her majesty and style all over North America for almost 35 years through her firm called Lori Morris Design, House of LMD. Welcome to Prairie Design Lab, a podcast coming to you from the Faculty of Architecture at the University of Manitoba, the home of the most experienced, creative, and dare I say, luxurious architecture faculty in Western Canada. I'm Terry McLeod, the host, producer, and writer of Prairie Design Lab. Welcome to episode 24 called Lori. We just heard how the design mags describe her work, but I began by asking Lori how she describes her work. Well, I guess I would sum it up with no rules. There are no rules to my world of design. Uh, the only rules that I would say are put into this scope are the overall sheer elegant factor, because I think that that is what I would describe my design is always elegant always sexy, but then at the same time, it could be somewhat stayed in terms of its genre of modern feeling and or French feeling, or even over top of Versailles feeling. But at the end of the day, I would describe it as elegant luxury with a modern twist and a sexy edge. I've heard that one of your high-rise suites was referred to as Versailles in the sky. What was it about that particular suite? That's a very good client of mine. They've been with me for many years and they were moving from their big home in Toronto to a big penthouse in a big high rise downtown. And they love French design, probably more so than I do, which is hard, but they do. And, but they like a very formal lifestyle. And, you know, when I asked them one word, when I said, what would you like your condo to look like? They said Versailles. So we transformed a top of a big luxurious um, hotel condo building in Toronto. It's like you've been transported to a palace in the sky. It's It's absolutely breathtaking. The appointment to details is outstanding. And you really have to feel like it's almost like a euphoric feeling while you're walking through there to understand that you are actually in a condo and not in a palace. What would make it be called Versailles in the Sky? What are the features? ornate detailing everywhere and panels and layers and layers, which is the signature style of LMD in terms of um, moldings and ceiling details and archways and floor inlay, beautiful marble and onyx designs and over-the-top formal, beautiful, elegant, appointed furniture and put it all together with a little sexy spin on top and we've got Versailles in the sky. I've been studying your works now for a couple of weeks, and I've kind of run out of adjectives to describe the power and the luxury of your designs. For those who haven't seen your work, could you walk us through, say, that house in South Florida that was on the cover of Florida Design Magazine in January, so we can all appreciate the details. Like, talk a little bit about materials, flooring, ceilings. Okay, so it was a beautiful Mediterranean-style Spanish home on the ocean, 
in Florida with beautiful stuccoed walls and clayed um, roof tiles and um, beautiful limestone carvings um, around the doorways and balustrade balconies. And, you know, the place itself was obviously extremely breathtaking just because of its location. On the front of it, you cross the road and you're on the intercoastal where you would park your yachts and in the back is the ocean. But when we got in there, it was, you know, it was a little bit tired inside. So we literally renovated the whole thing, gutted the whole thing down to its studs, basically, and revamped it and put, again, the LMD sexy twist of magic all over and created this beautiful, sumptuous palette of pastel paradise. We uh, designed mosaic tiles of a hibiscus flower that we put in the pool that just makes it sing and it it sparkles with joy and dancing sunlight. And then inside, we did a pastel paradise palette, as I refer to it as, not just because the homeowner loved that, but you know we have a male and a female in there, husband and wife. So we've got um, both sides of the coin. So we've sort of done it where we've done some definite uh, larger and stronger hues in that blue, sexy whiskey lounge and paired it up with the softness of the palette surrounding it. But I think what it was set up to be was just a really great, fabulous retreat and having all the amenities and breathtaking kitchens with um, ornate blue and creams and antique mirrors and blue marbles and pink marbles and beautiful custom-made LMD furniture. And it's just, you know, it's something that has to be seen to be understood because the pictures really don't do it justice. It's actually even more breathtaking in real life. You really feel once again that you've been transported to some euphoric state with the ocean glistening and glowing behind you and in front of you and the sun just, you know, sparkling on everything, just making it all shine. You mentioned in passing the whiskey lounge, that incredible indigo blue room. So that's his room, but I think it's turned out to be the favorite room in the house because it is so sexy. So it's just a room where, you know, we've done sort of lounge chairs. We've got a bar in the center and sofa in the back, and we put a um, customized humidor in the back for the cigars. And it's just a whiskey bar and cognac bar or tequila bar or champagne bar, whatever we want to call it. But it's just a fabulous place for you to go really just relax and lounge and hang. But the interesting thing is out of all the places in the house, which was supposed to be his lounge, it's sort of turned out to be everybody's favorite lounge because it is so intoxicating in terms of the color palette. You started your practice back in 1987, almost 35 years ago. What led you to do that? You know, I was um, always an artistic and creative uh, young girl, you know, growing up. Um, I don't necessarily knew that I was actually this driven because I was a little bit more of a far more of a rebel teenager than anything else. But I went to university, I got an arts degree in psychology, sociology, just sort of general arts. And I just kind of knew this was not going to be my destiny. And I just sort of um, from there just took a trajectory of um, design and, and I enrolled in design school and basically never looked back. But in terms of where my career is right now, as to where I started, I, I couldn't really actually say to you, you know, with, with any kind of confidence that this is what I had planned for myself, because I had no idea this was going to happen. I just knew that I wanted to do something with my life that much I knew and I wanted to do something important and I wanted to feel very fulfilled within my life not necessarily knowing what that was going to be I didn't really necessarily have that in a direction per se but being artistic many years ago when I started this it wasn't like it is now where you know there's a whole industry based on design and and, uh, you know HGTV and social media and, and Pinterest and everything I mean that didn't exist when I started you know to display yourself as a designer was far more difficult than it is now to get the exposure that you can get now just posting on Instagram. But yeah, I just uh, got right into it and loved it. And here we are. Who were your early influences? I understand that Ralph Lauren and Dolce and Gabbana were important to you. 
the reason why I sort of have pinpointed those two design firms and designers is because, you know, I understood what they did in terms of the layering and the different textures and the no rules and mixing and matching and eclecticism and just sort of, you know, doing really whatever you wanted. I mean, looking at Dolce Gabbana bags and dresses reminded me of my drapes and Ralph Lauren, the way he just sort of, you know, put everything together and had no rules in terms of, you know, whatever got put into a room in terms of its genre style or, or what have you. And I related to that very much so in a very innate understanding of how I saw design. So therefore, they were the two designers at the time that I could understand that was in my head when I was, you know, creating my design process. What number of projects are you working on now? Um, actually, right now, we're crazy busy. We're working on over 40 projects um, over North America, and it's significantly busy. We're um, hiring new people on a regular basis. I feel very grateful and very thankful for the status that we're in right now. What size of a team does it require to work on that many projects? Employees in the office, we have over 40 employees working here right now, and we're in the midst of hiring quite a few more. But there's also the extension of who works for us in terms of the fabricators and the trades. And there's probably 200 people that work in within our projects on, on a regular basis to get everything done. Because, you know, with a workload like this and the amount of clients that we work for and the projects that we do, you know, we have to be able to deliver. Like, that's the big thing. You know, you get these big clients and they want you to do your fabulous design. Well, that's the easy part. But now you have to actually make it happen. And it requires an army of fabricators and trades and teams of professionals to get all these jobs done. You know, you can do that pretty easily if you've got one or two or three, but when you're working on that kind of volume, you need also a magnitude of people around you to help get this done. This podcast is coming from the Faculty of Architecture at the University of Manitoba. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask what role architects play in your projects. Well, they play a very significant role because most of the work that you see on our website are houses that are started from scratch. They are brand new buildings where we will uh, work in co collaboration with, you know, very skilled and talented architects in the city. And they will do the drawings and we will finesse, you know, some of the finishes and such. And then my extensive, extremely talented design team led by Julie Ballard will come in and then we'll take over in terms of the interior detailing from uh, a full set of interior design detailed drawing packages, floor designs, cabinetries, uh, ceiling, archways, selection of all materials. And then we help once basically the holes in the ground, we, you know, we, we get going. When you first meet with a client about a possible project, where do you start? That's pretty easy because as an artist, I can do any style anybody wants. I'm not restricted to any, only one genre or one style. I can do anything. So we really just ask them, what is it that you want and what do you want it to look like and how do you want it to feel? And once we get those adjectives out of them and they can just be said in words or images or feelings or references to any hotels or bars or somebody else's house or a gown for that matter, once I understand what it is that they want, then we just carry on from there. At what point in your process do you talk about <clears throat> money? Uh, right at the beginning, very, very beginning, right? Like get go from like the first phone call practically, because, you know, we have to understand, you know, what it is that they want, what their expectations are and financially what their commitment is to this project. And because what we do is extremely high end and very custom and very luxurious in its finished product, but unfortunately, or fortunately, it does come with a very high price tag. So we have to just make sure that everybody understands what this actually costs to get to the end of this project. And as long as everybody understands that, then we 
can proceed. And then from there we go, because it would be very irresponsible on my part to not discuss a budget because, you know, a client could be very uh, misled to either a, what they think it costs and what we know it costs to, so to not inform them would be a waste of my time and theirs. So we would not do that. How do you find the right clients? I'd like to say that they find me at this point in time. I mean, like I said, we've been doing this for over 34 years now and we have a, you know, pretty solid reputation as to what it is that we produce and what our style is and, you know, what you're going to get if you hire the house of LMD word of mouth through social media, through any advertisement in magazines, through, you know, people just, you know, going to other people's houses. We have a showroom in Muskoka. We have another one that's just getting done up in Dundas. We have a showroom in Toronto on our main floor of our office here. We've done a few sales centers for condos where people can see our work, but mainly it's through social media and our website and any publications that we've been in. And of course, through word of mouth. What are your steps from beginning to end? Once you hire us and everybody understands the scope of work, the budget and all the particulars that needs to be done, you know, before you start, then we start with a process where Julie and I, you know, start the initial design where we sort of figure out what, what we're going to do. And Julie draws some stunning hand-drawn soulful uh, perspectives that we present to the client so that they can get a really good understanding of what their house is going to feel like. It's a very old school uh, way of um, presenting a design, but at the same time, I will do it forever because these drawings create create a soul. You can feel the emotion in your house when you look at them. After that presentation, that really represents what your design is going to feel like, what your house is going to feel like. And from there, then we really start going. Then we start the process of, you know, the months and months of the detailed interior design drawings. At the same time, we pick all the selections of all the finishes to, you know, create the colorful palette that they're going to receive. And then we have various meetings with the client over the next six months, depending on the size of their project in terms of showing them, you know, each floor at a time usually if it's a big house and all the finishes and then when everybody's happy and the budgets come out we sign everything we get everything ready then we show them the decoration which is you know the fun part because that's when we color it all in and usually the wives get really excited it excites us and then we go from there and then we then we got to build it this sounds like it could take a long time in terms of the process what's the average length of time for your project from beginning to end well, on a big house that we're building, probably from start to finish, six years, I would say, from the time we start with architects and time we finish and hand them you know, their finished product, I would say about six years. Uh, when you're doing a renovation, let's say a client buys a house and they want to renovate it, that's usually anywhere between eight months and a year and a half, depending on the size. Nothing comes fast in this business, for sure. What's the average size of a big project? Uh, usually we work in houses that are anywhere between 16,000 and 30,000 square feet. That's what we build, design, and or decorate or renovate. That's sort of where we're at. Back on episode 18 of the podcast, which I titled Color, I spoke with an architect artist, uh, Rodney Latourelle, uh, who lives and works in Berlin. And we were talking about how ordinary people feel about color. He said, you know, a lot of people, Terry, are afraid of color. What do you think? It's a completely factual statement, which is why some a company like Restoration Hardware does so amazing, not just because their marketing and their um, images of their uh, website is absolutely fantastic, but it's a very neutral palette. And a neutral palette is something that's very safe for people and they can very much understand it. It's very lovely. It's very easy. It's very tranquil. It's sort of, it's a not a commitment and, and, and you don't necessarily have to, you know, decide whether you like it or not 
not, it's just very, very easy. However, it's not for us. Okay. We like color because color is personality. Color is excitement. Color evokes the feeling. So for me, it's not about a color, like someone, like you say, like the indigo whiskey lounge. It's not like I set out to do a blue whiskey lounge. It's just like, I use the word exciting. So to me, this was exciting. It's not necessarily exciting because, you know, there's crazy things going on there. It's just exciting because it's got vibrance and it's got, it's got life. But the problem lies is color is very difficult to do. And that's why most people don't do color because the neutral palette is very easy to do because the thought process is a very sort of cohesive blend of symmetry. And, you know, for me, I evoke color in a much different way where I don't necessarily uh, do a room that's necessarily one particular color, even though that room is indigo, the one you're referencing, we bring in color as more of an emotional impact where I sort of blend the colors throughout and it's a colorful palette, but at the same time, it's still extremely subdued. And therefore I view color as evoking a feeling, not necessarily a color on the color wheel. When I was doing some painting on our house, I painted the uh, pediment around the front door, a color called approaching storm, which is this dark purplish color, which if you live on the prairies, when a storm is coming in an intense one, you get this dark menacing but beautiful color mm -hmm. painted the vestibule the other day this intense pink called razzle dazzle my living room is indigo like your whiskey lounge perhaps that's why i like it so much but who chooses the colors in the work that you do i do I select all the finishes, all the colors, all the tiles, all the decoration, you know, that is something that, you know, I see very clearly in my mind as a finished product. So when we get a new client and they, you know, express their sort of direction in terms of where they want to go from a, you know, what, what they want their place to feel and what genre of design they're looking for, the, the whole sort of magical color palette is all in my head. So I execute the selections of all, everything you see in the website. Do you pick colors out of a palette book? Yes, we pick through Benjamin Moore primarily, or at the same time, we'll do some custom blending as well. I do a lot of uh, soft pastels and pinks and blues, and it's they're very sort of hard colors to find the exact one. Gray is hard too. We don't work a lot in gray, but because those tones have so many um, different ways that they can run, blues can get into greens and purples and yellows, and you know you got to get the right color. So color actually seems very easy until you start doing it, and it's actually very difficult, but I understand it very well. I have a very good sense of color. I find it an easy path to infuse color into my work. I was speaking to a couple of young designers on Prairie Design Lab last week, and we were talking about their work, which they described as frequently minimalist. Would you describe your work as frequently maximalist? Absolutely, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And with no apology attached, it's not that I am not capable of doing minimalistic work. It's not that I can't do ultra modern work. I can do any work that anybody wants me to do. It's easy. I just find that, you know, that is sort of a certain look that is very appealing to a lot of people. And certainly I can do that, but I just find it far more challenging and far more interesting to continue to layer something up. I, I feel that it just makes the place look, you know, really sort of finished. Um, you have to sort of walk through one of my interiors to really feel the emotion that these kind of layered looking eclectic feelings exude. For interior design students who are ambitious to emulate what you've done with your life, where should they start? 
They got to go to school for sure. When you're at school, it's not that it teaches you style because everybody has their own style. They can uh, finesse your style and help monitor your style in terms of getting it into the right direction. But in terms of schooling, it, you know, there's certain things that you need to learn as basic skills, whether they are just, you know, standard dimensional skills of what needing to know just for the functionality of a space and proportion, which of course is the one key element to design proportion being so critically important. But once you have your skill set through graduating through design, then you have to just follow your dream and be very strong and confident in terms of what you believe in. I think that if I look back and now the trajectory of where I am right now in my career, like I've always been very confident of my style that has grown and matured over the years, but it's always been the same sort of way in terms of I've never sort of really just done whatever might be trendy at the moment, because that's just not who I am. And I'm very confident in what it is that I express creatively. And we just sort of, you know, do that very strongly and they got to work their ass off really is what's got to happen. Terry, (laughs) that's just it, you know, and anything else isn't going to happen. So when you were growing up in Dundas, how big was Dundas? Uh, It was a population of 21,000 people, which I'm now going to move back home to. And it was absolutely beautiful. We were right in the conservation area. I lived in the valley. There was beautiful trees and waterfalls and, you know, little escarpments. And it's just breathtaking there. And it's tranquil and it's peaceful and calm and quiet. And I can't wait to get back. Where did your ambition come from, though? My father, my father was a lawyer and he worked very hard. He was very strict with me. I have two uh, brothers and a sister of four of us. And he was very strict on us in terms of going to school and going to university and always having a job and always working. And, you know, I remember summers where, you know, uh, all my, had a big posse of friends and they would hang out my parents' pool while I was at work for the day. So, you know, <laughs> I've been working since I was 15. What was the turning point though, that led you to now being head of LMD design of having 45 employees employing 200 contractors? Like, was there a moment when things clicked and you said, I'm going to do this? Oh, I think I thought that right from day one, Terry. I don't know necessarily that that really happened in day one. In fact, I know it didn't happen from day one, but I think I've always felt that way because I think that I've always been very, very strong as to what I believe in. And again, what I knew I was capable of doing as an artist, I just had to wait and and wait my turn and pay my dues to get to a point where my work could be executed and shown to an audience where, you know, we could continue to get this kind of clientele and work on these kind of projects. But I think that every sort of 10 years, there was a new milestone of a big project that I may have finished or a big client that I may have got that that I would think to myself, oh, geez, wow, that was great, Lori. I can't believe you're working for so-and-so and doing this project. And this could potentially lead to something else. And to say that every decade, I would look back and think, wow, like, look, look where I'm doing now, look how much I'm traveling. And, you know, I, I would say even in the past few years, like before the pandemic, you know, last year, I was in the States every two weeks working all over North America, doing projects everywhere. And it was actually kind of a little bit of a surreal experience doing all kinds of houses for all kinds of people that it just got me through social media or or some of my magazine articles. And they would give me lots of respect. And it was just kind of like, wow, look what I'm doing. So it was pretty cool. I'm curious as to what your own house is like. It's beautiful, Terry. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's really good. And, and that's why I'm doing another big one in Dundas. I'm doing a big uh, renovation in addition there because, you know, I love it so much. I see so much that I do and I'll finish someone's house. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to have that. Oh my God, I have to have that. <laughs> so I just did my place in Florida. I did it all pink and paradise and gorgeous. And now I'm doing uh, the showroom in Dundas and it's just going to have all my favorites from all the houses that we do. But it's hard for me not to have this because this is what I design every day and this is what I see. So, you know, the bar is so high that, you know, I find too with our clients, you know, when we finish their houses and they've always been used to traveling all over the world on yachts and planes and houses. And they're like, you know, but Lori, nothing like our house that you did. And and it's true. You get used to a certain way and it's hard to go back. What's success for you? Happiness. End of story. However you get happy is success. That's how I feel. And, you know, sure, money makes you happy and money can bring you all kinds of toys and things. But, you know, those things don't make you happy if you're not already happy. So for me, success has just been able to work this hard and be able to actually see my dreams come true and see what I've been able to accomplish and knowing that there's still so much more to go. If all this happens in your life and you're not happy, then you're not successful because you've somehow figured out a different path that hasn't brought that smile to your face. At some point in time, you sort of got to say, well, you know, am I really doing what I love? Do I love what I do? Am I happy? And I think that if you can feel and say yes to all those things, then you're successful. We talked a little bit about Ralph Lauren and Dolce and Gabbana. When you say those names, we see something. So when people say the Lori Morris name, what do you want them to see? Beauty, ultimate beauty. I think that if they see original creativity and ultimate beauty, I think that that would make me happy and a unique original style that I've spent a lot of time curating. And I've, I've labeled my own style, sexy French. And it's what I believe is my love of French classic design and my love for modern design and an infused synergized balance between the two genres just kind of created a little magic. And I hope that that's what people might describe when they describe what it is that I do. What advice would you have for your younger self? Looking back, anyone who I would be talking to, any young people, and I do mentor quite a few young people who ask me, you know, how and what, and what should I do? And, and the work ethic, you know, it's just so strong. And I, I'm very grateful to my parents for giving me such a hard work ethic and such a strict upbringing because I wouldn't be here where I am today without my parents guiding me in, in what they did to get me to this place. But I think never giving up, not being afraid of failure. Like I failed tons of times. I made so many mistakes and I still do. I mean, they're much less now, of course. But, you know, you know, when you're young, you're stubborn and and you you think that you're right. And you, you know, when I think back and think about how great I thought I was 25 years ago, like I wasn't great at all, you know, but I thought I was great, but I wasn't. So I think the confidence certainly helped me. You know, a mistake is not a mistake unless you do it twice. When you do something that you fail at, it's just an experience. You know, if you do the same thing over and over again, then yes, then it's a mistake. But I think when I look back, I've learned so much. And the only reason why I can handle the crew that I can right now and the clients that I can handle and everything is just because I've been doing this for so long and I've learned you know, the ways to do things and what not to do and how to handle it. And we have a very strong sense of integrity and honesty and hard work ethic here. So that stays in play all the way through. You've created a book about your work called Lori Morris Book Volume One. What does it tell and show us? 
Well, it's actually Lori, 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 Lori. So we call it volume one only because I've got volume two already almost ready that have been, that's going to be published out in the fall of this year. And I've all, already almost got volume three ready as well. You know, when you look at the work on Instagram, it looks great, the website, but sometimes when, when I print some of the big pictures, they just look so much more impactful. And, you know, everybody has always asked me, oh, Lori, you know, where's a book? I want to see all your stuff. We started putting together just sort of like mini books just for our collateral for our clients and potential clients. And everybody just really liked them and we liked them. So we thought, okay, well, we have enough of an audience and everybody wants them. So we'll do it. So we did. I feel right now in my career that I want to be able to give back and I, um, which is why we're doing this, which is why we spoke to your university. I want to be able to help whatever young people I can and mentor whomever I can to help on their journey, because I feel that I can contribute and help them. So that's what I'm trying to do right now as well. I sat in on your lecture at the university, and then when I was told that I was going to have a chance to actually talk to you one-on-one, I thought, really? Really? Lori Morris is going to talk to me? This has really been fun. I am so grateful. No problem, Terry. It was really a pleasure, and I thank you very much. Take care of yourself, Lori, Lori, Lori. It's been great. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Lori Morris is the owner of Lori Morris Design, House of LMD. You can visit her website for more photos of her design projects, especially if you'd like to see that indigo room, among many others. Her website is lorimorris.com. That's L-O-R-I-M-O-R-R-I-S. Thank you for joining us today on Prairie Design Lab. The lab is created with the help of the graduates, faculty, students, and worldwide allies of the University of Manitoba Faculty of Architecture. I'm Terry McLeod, your writer, producer, and host. For more information about us, visit our website at prairiedesignlab.com. Special thanks today to Professor Jason Shields and Professor Jason Chan. You can listen to us on Spotify and Apple and Google Podcasts. If you like us, please subscribe. You can hear us on the radio in Winnipeg on UMFM 101.5 FM on Wednesday mornings at 1130. Thanks for listening. See you next week.